Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. Let's get to it. I hope you guys are all doing really well, and it's great to have you here. I want to say happy Confederate Memorial Day, also known as Participation Trophy Day, also known as Dead Racist Loser Day. That's today. Again, happy Confederate Memorial Day to everyone who celebrates quitting America and taking up arms against the United States for your state's right to keep human beings as livestock. Today, Confederate Memorial Day is being celebrated as an official state holiday in Alabama, Mississippi, and South Carolina. State offices are closed in those three states. It must be cool to be so patriotic and still brag about that time you quit America. They are closed today to honor those who died fighting against the abolition of slavery. Alabama, Mississippi, and South Carolina. Coincidentally... Or maybe not coincidentally, these states' public school systems rank 50th in the nation for Alabama, 46th in the nation for Mississippi, 43rd in the U.S. for the great state of South Carolina. Uh, By the way, and it's great to have Chris Houselt with us because he actually is doing the show from the beautiful state of South Carolina, and I love South Carolina. I've spent time there. I've worked there. I've made a movie there. I've performed there. A lot of good people. But you should remember, Confederate Memorial Day only became an officially recognized holiday in South Carolina in the year, let me look it up, hang on, uh, 2000. Yes, it didn't even become a state holiday until this century. South Carolina was the first state to secede from the Union, and they were the last state to observe Martin Luther King's birthday as a holiday. In fact, the state only approved the King Day in the year 2000, and they only approved it after Republicans insisted on adding a Confederate Memorial Day as well. Eight states, my friends, eight states have a Confederate Memorial Day, not all on the same day, 
those three states celebrate it today. Not for nothing, folks, but today is the birthday of a noted actor who is noted for other things, John Wilkes Booth. Three states are observing Confederate Memorial Day and closing state offices on the anniversary of the day of the birth of the man who murdered President Lincoln. Uh, the great Dino Badala pointed out on social media earlier today, you are not a patriotic American if you celebrate Confederate Memorial Day. It's like celebrating Al-Qaeda or ISIS, although the Confederates slaughtered far more Americans than ISIS and Al-Qaeda combined. I would agree. I'd go a step further. The Confederate flag is our swastika. It's fair. More people died under slavery than died in the atrocity that was committed by Nazi Germany. And, and by the way, every soldier that they're honoring in the great state of South Carolina today, every soldier who gave their life for the cause of the Confederacy, they all fought the United States to guarantee that current senator of South Carolina, Tim Scott, would be born a white man's property. And I hope the good Republican black senator thinks about that every time he sees a Confederate flag. Every time he hears about his state, closing state offices, those men died so he'd be born the property of a white man. It's also worth remembering uh, the real Jefferson Davis was caught fleeing dressed as a woman. It has nothing much to do with this, but I like to remind these racists of that. He was dressed as a woman trying to escape when they caught him. It's a good day to remember how important it is to fight for the USA and the imperfect democracy that defines us. You know, states are still celebrating Confederate Memorial Day, but increasingly they're not allowed to teach about racism or slavery or American apartheid or institutionalized racism in school. The people celebrating this day are the same Trump supporters who had the dick to tell Colin Kaepernick he was disrespecting the truth. These same Republican-controlled states who say systemic racism is just a myth and critical race theory just teaches children to hate white people. And, of course, these are the same people who say, hey, even though overturning Roe v. Wade is going to mostly affect black women and affect black women the hardest, it has nothing to do with slavery. It's just states' rights. That's the argument we always get, isn't it? The Confederacy wasn't about slavery. It was just states' rights, yeah. The right to keep slaves. And abortion being banned is also going to be an issue of states' rights. The right to punish poor people with greater poverty. They're celebrating Confederate Memorial Day while planning to keep poor black women prisoner. I mean, think about that two of these judges on the Supreme Court Sam Alito and Amy Coney Barrett actually act, they, they, they use the words domestic supply of infants for adoption as their justification for stripping women's reproductive freedoms because we need, I'm quoting here, domestic supply of infants for adoption. Think about those words <laughs> and think about the Confederacy. Um, they did have a, a loss today. The Confederacy had another victory. Elon Musk announced that Donald Trump's going to be allowed back on Twitter. I know, right? What a, what a shock. <laughs> really. I couldn't believe it. But there was another loss by the Confederacy today, and it was an amusing one. One America News Network, you know, OAN, they have finally been forced to admit that there was 
no widespread voter fraud by Georgia election workers in the 2020 presidential election. This is part of a legal settlement with the Georgia election workers who were falsely and dishonestly accused of vote tampering in the 2020 election. And the far right, deeply dishonest, deeply fascist, deeply stupid conservative cable network OAN issued an apology. They ran it for 30 seconds on the air, admitting there was no widespread voter fraud that denied Donald Trump a second term in office. It appears to be a part of the settlement they just had relating to the defamation lawsuit that was brought against the network by two of these workers. It's interesting. Like last year, they broadcast so many false accusations that uh, that the election workers had helped Joe Biden's campaign commit fraud by running fake ballots. They brought in suitcases from voting machines. Now, of course, there was voter fraud in the state of Georgia. We heard it on tape. Donald Trump attempted it. He was on tape pressuring Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find 11,000 votes to help him steal this election. He didn't say count all the votes. He said find the exact number of votes that he needed. <laughs> and, and you know, he, here's the deal. These, these two women, who, who uh, Ms. Freeman and Moss, uh, who sued Rudy Giuliani, um, that case is ongoing, for uh, all of the false claims that there was blatant, clear, obvious voter fraud. I mean, Giuliani at one point can be heard saying, we should try to get this on Newsmax and OAN. Um, Donald Trump mentioned Ms. Friedman's name 18 times on that phone call with Brad Raffensperger. So they finally released it. Do we have, we can't, can we play the audio or is it not loading up? I wanted to play the actual clip, but we're having a problem with the internet, so we can't actually play it, that for you. But here's the deal to remember. Um, you can see the journalistic integrity here. There's no apology. There's no formal retraction as part of the arrangement to not get sued even deeper. OAN just plays this tape. This pre-recorded message saying there was no widespread voter fraud by Georgia election workers in the 2020 election. And that's it. That's it. Um, the results of this investigation indicate that Ruby Friedman and Wandrea Shea Moss did not engage in ballot fraud or criminal conduct. How does this relate to Confederate Day? Well, you know why. Because the same white supremacists who defend the Confederacy are the ones who stormed our capital. Honoring the most pro-Confederacy president we have had in the last 100 years, Donald Trump. Donald Trump, who defended the Confederacy, who defended the monuments, who talked about our beautiful memorials, our beautiful, our beautiful Confederate statues. He couldn't stop praising the Confederacy. He didn't have to. He wanted to. So he did it. They stormed our Capitol, a building built by slaves to throw out the votes of primarily black voters in Arizona and Pennsylvania. They carried a Confederate battle flag into our capital and beat the hell out of cops who were trying to protect our fragile, imperfect democracy. I mean, this woman, uh, 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 Ruby Freeman, Trump said her name 18 times on the recording when he committed voter fraud to the Georgia Secretary of State. This is the woman who got visited by Kanye West publicist who threatened her to try to extract a confession about committing election fraud. It's really nice to see innocent people have their names cleared. And again, OAN deserves much worse. Any network that would do something like this should be forced to admit they peddled lies on air. They should be forced to admit they're not a real network. They should be de deemed not a real news network. 
And that goes for Fox News and Newsmax. I'd love to see all of them do these 30-second spots as well. I, want to, I still want to see Fox News do spots that they lied us into the Iraq War. I want to see Fox News do spots that, no, no, Barack Obama really was born here. Guys, those who fly the rebel flag today, those who push these lies, those who hate democracy, who hate one person, one vote, who hate the America that we've come so close to being, that we're still getting so close to being, they're descended from those who lost. And I know it's scary right now. It's inflation, Russia, the entire Democratic Party is allegedly in power, but they seem to be nothing more than a punching bag for these fascists. But don't forget what they fight for. Don't forget what we're fighting for. They're going to strip women's reproductive rights away. They're going to block Joe Biden from having any kind of progress. They're going to blame him for an inflation wave that is taking over the entire planet. They're going to blame him for the gas prices, even though when you look at the other countries in the world, America's comparatively doing great. It's rough, I know. That's why I'm glad to do this show. That's why I'm glad to do this show at a place like SiriusXM Progress. Because there are more of us than there are of them. So I do want to say happy Confederate Memorial Day. I haven't seen this many people celebrating the side that lost since Donald Trump's inaugural. And remember, the Confederacy is a lot like Donald Trump's presidency. It only lasted four years, but it was racist. It was destructive. It duped a lot of gullible white people into fighting for rich white people who didn't care about them. And of course, the Confederacy, like Trump's presidency, is still celebrated by losers. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. I am always thrilled to welcome our good friend, the Reverend Barry Lynn, back to the show. Reverend Lynn is an ordained minister in United Church of Christ. For many years, he was executive director of Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, and he's been a longtime activist and civil liberties lawyer. You've seen him on NewsHour, on PBS, on Nightline, 60 Minutes, even the O'Reilly Factor, and maybe read his stuff in USA Today and the Wall Street Journal and The Nation. Uh, Barry's a good friend of the show, and he gives quite good film reviews, too. Tonight, however, uh, Barry has brought a very special friend along, someone who I have read about for years and never had the pleasure to talk to before. Bill Baird is a reproductive rights pioneer, a legendary activist. He's called by some uh, the father of the birth control and abortion rights movement. He is a man who has put his life and safety on the line for women's rights for decades. He was jailed eight times 
in five different states in the 1960s for lecturing on abortion and birth control. He was legendarily arrested at Boston University for giving contraceptives to a student uh, during a speech. And he is believed to be the first and only non-lawyer in American history to have three Supreme Court victories. What a great pleasure to welcome Reverend Barry Lynn and Bill Baird to the show. Thank you. I'm delighted to see my good friend is on, too. <laughs> Thank you, sir. And hello, Barry. Hello there. It's uh, it's great to have you both. And Mr. Baird, longtime fan, uh, first time, first time suck up. Uh, thank you very much for your lifetime of service. For those who don't know your story, I just want to give them the, the backstory. And I know you've told many times how your career began in Harlem Hospital. But I wonder if you wouldn't mind sharing that story with us again. Well, I'd have to go back. I grew up in the slums of Brooklyn way back in the 1930s. And that was a tough time because that's the time that we had the Great Depression. I had an alcoholic father, abusive, and then we had World War II, all within the same decade. But uh, as I was growing up, my sister became ill. We didn't have money for a doctor. She was only 12 years old, and I was nine. And each night she'd scream in pain. My mother would always say, oh, she'll get over it. And finally, we couldn't take the scream, nor could the neighbors, rushed her to the hospital, and she had appendix break, and sadly, she died. But she died because she was poor. We were a very poor family in the Great Depression. So as I went through the years of my life, I always try to say to myself, someday, if I get educated, get my degrees and so forth, I'll be somehow, hopefully, help society. And as uh, fate had it, I was hired as clinical director for a birth control company, and I heard a scream at Harlem Hospital. I'll never forget certain things in your life you never forget. And I heard this blood-curling scream, and I raced into the horror hallway of the hallway, and to my horror, I saw this young Afro-American woman literally covered with blood from the waist down with an eight-inch piece of wire coat hanger protruding oh. from her uterus. And I caught her, because I was pretty fast in those days, not today, but then I was. I'm pushing 90 now, so I'm have one position that's called slow. Uh, but nevertheless, I tried my best to hold her and comfort her until help came, <clears throat> but she died. And uh, I felt so badly because she died because she could not get an abortion. Uh, she could not get birth control because she was unmarried. And I said, this is outrageous. So I did the most logical thing. I went to Planned Parenthood. They had lots of money, multi-million dollar organization. I said, hey, fight this crazy law called 1142 that said anyone who prints, publishes, or exhibits any means of birth control, you could go to prison. And of course, I thought that was nuts. So way back in 19, can I say this now, 65? Wow. Yeah. 65, on coming up next week, is the 57th anniversary. I might be in handcuffs. I had a mobile clinic. I would drive into poor areas and the idea was to just help people learn, be comfortable, learn how their body works, and teach them about birth control and the dangers of quack abortions like coat hangers and knitting needles. And uh, that day I heard a police siren, and I said, I wonder who they were going after, because it was high-pitched. Lo and behold, they were outside my van. They said, step out, you're under arrest for indecent exposure of obscene objects showing birth control devices right. to unmarried people. And uh, so I was arrested and 
jailed. And then the following year, Freehold, New Jersey, same same thing. They were jailing unwed mothers on the charge of fornication, that if they yep. fornicated, they could get pregnant and therefore it would increase welfare costs. So they said they would lower the welfare costs by jailing them for a year. I thought that was nuts. So I went and I talked in birth control and I was found guilty for teaching birth control. And then that's when the big test came. On the 7th of April, I had received a letter shortly before then from Ray Mungo. He was a very famous writer for mm-hmm. the Boston University newspaper. And he said, Bill, he said, would you fight a law? It's called Crimes Against Chastity, Morality, Decency, and Good Order. And when he read me the law and told me it carried with it a 10-year prison term, I said, hey, hey, man, I live in New York. You're way to hundreds of miles away in Boston. Uh, I don't have any money for lawyers. I got four kids of my own, and money was always tight for me because I was always fighting court cases. And um, to make a long story short, he said, we get you a lawyer from the ACLU, which guarantee you that. So I took him at his word. Got up there, and I was shocked. Shocked there were 2,500 people to hear me speak. The largest audience ever for a lecture. So I got up, and I started to speak. I never write out a speech, but I kind of feel the audience. But I saw there were at least a dozen cops. And I knew they were pretty hostile, so I figured maybe I can loosen them up because uh, I speak extemporaneously. So I started to talk to them about birth control, and I held up, which is on my desk now, Time Magazine, April the 6th, the same day of my challenge in the law. And on the cover of Time Magazine was a photograph of the pill, and I pasted it on a St. Joseph aspirin that looked like the pill, and then I pasted the real pill. And I started to kid the cops. I said, hey, will you bust me for showing the real pill, a fake pill, or a photograph Brilliant. of the pill? Brilliant. And they would do nothing. So to make a long story short, I was finally arrested, convicted, and put in a place called the Charles Street Jail. I had to deal with beatings, the threat of rape every night, uh, and it was really a nightmare of a hellhole. But eventually, the U.S. Supreme Court would hear me, and on March 22nd, 50 years ago, 50 years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court said these powerful words that are real today than ever before. If the right of privacy means anything, It is a right of the individual to be free, the individual to be free, not married, the individual, to be free to decide whether to bear or beget a child. That case was called Bear V. Eisenstadt, and that's what legalized birth control in 1972. And then the following year, Roe v. Wade quoted my case six times, legalizing abortion. That's right. That's That's right. How I got there. What part of Brooklyn did you grow up in, Bill? The tough section. East New York, uh, a term that you probably won't know because you sound much younger than me because I'll be 90, <laughs> believe it or not, on yeah. June the uh, 20th. Uh, what would happen was that um, I heard a term called junking. I'd go from garbage can to garbage can and pick out newspapers. And in those days, if you got 100 pounds, go to a junkyard, they'd give you 75 cents. That's right. And since my father was an alcoholic, he wasn't around as much as we wish he could be, so food was short. And I would t- earn that money, give it to my mom, and uh, that's helped us get through some difficult times in the Great Depression. My, my dad grew up in Flatbush uh, during the Great Depression. Was he was uh, yeah. <laughs> he was one year younger than you, uh, but you know he he lives in a neighborhood beset by gangs, et, et cetera. Yeah. And, and, and they were, yeah, there were tough gangs. I, yeah. I was a street fighter, and that's 
what enabled me to go through life and go through survive prison because you know you have to in, in those days they had honor I always carried a little two inch piece of wooden chip and I'd put it on my shoulder and when other older kids would come and try to steal my newspapers because they wanted to get them sell them but not do the work for them <laughs> and so I, the theory was you put it on your shoulder they would knock it off and then you'd begin to fight and since I was so fast before my chip hit the ground, I punched his nose and usually broke their nose and he ran away. <laughs> so that's how I survived. I, I mean, this is why I was so thrilled that, that Reverend Barry was going to get you here tonight, Mr. Barrett, because I, I've I've read your story many times, and you were, if you don't mind my saying, a very unlikely activist. But I've, I've read how when you opened up the nation's first real abortion and birth control facility back in 64... Yep. So many thousands of women came to you seeking help, and you heard these stories that were not on the news, uh, stories about rape, stories about botched abortions, and it, it seems like you were someone who had your empathy awoken in a powerful way that drove you to sacrifice your own needs for the good of others in your community. Well, I love people. I've, I learned that the living hell I went through as a child that if I ever got to be an adult and live through what I was going through, that just maybe it would spread to other people and we would help each other as human beings. I just spotted on my desk now, if anyone's listening to this and now know a magazine, which you may have heard of called Sepia. It was a black, black magazine, sort of equal to Ebony. And the date of the magazine in front of me is July 1967. And why I carry this worn-out magazine on the cover is my phone number, and it says, dial this number for an abortion. And the reason that's so significant, in 1967, there was a 10-page story about my clinic, but each person you help was a 10-year jail term. It was mm. illegal to openly help women get abortions. But I wanted to challenge the law, and if I got arrested, I hoped I could somehow get heard by the U.S. Supreme Court. And that was my goal. And finally, right. when I did speak at Boston University, and I was convicted for the awesome crime, if you can believe this, showing obscene objects, the pill, the IUD, yep. and a diaphragm. And the other crime was giving an unmarried 19-year-old. In those days, if you were under 21, you were a minor. Today, if you're under 18, you're a minor. Correct. But I gave a minor a can of foam. I was their clinical director. So by giving it to her, I was arrested. But then what I did was I showed the police in front of all the TV cameras that it was $3 for the chemical foam, but $0.09 cent sales tax. So trying to be funny, not a great comedian like you, but trying to be funny, I said, hey, you're going to bust me. you got to bust the attorney general for collecting an illegal sales tax. Yeah, I love sales it. Tax on a $3 sale. And I love it. So, but they didn't think I was very funny. They put the handcuffs on me. But nevertheless... Uh, you, you know, the guys who cuffed Lenny Bruce didn't think he was very funny either. I, I want to I bring Reverend Barry Lynn into the conversation because, Barry, I, I thought of you last week uh, when this draft opinion of uh, Sam Alito was leaked. And I've talked to so many people um, over the past week on the show. And, and I want to say, stress, I've talked to so many men who care so much about this issue. Of course, we've talked to lots of women and we've had women activists on and women journalists on, but so many men who really do care about this issue. And, uh, you know, I'm curious your thoughts on it. Uh, you think Roe is done. Yeah, I'm afraid it is. I mean, they might 
clean up the draft a little bit. There's, of course, a quote from some guy from a century ago writing about why abortion should be a crime. But then many people have determined that, well, he also thought that women should be the property of their husbands. So there might be a couple of things taken out. But one thing, one thing, this is the issue that got me involved in the separation of church and state in the first place. I'm not sure I've told this story on your show. But when I was in uh, college, I had a very good friend, and we were talking about what we were going to do, be doing for spring break. I said, what are you going to do? And he said, I'm going to London. And I said, um, that must be fun. And he said, no, we won't be having fun. But my girlfriend and I are going to London in order for her to obtain a safe abortion. And right. it wasn't until then that I realized that even in those liberal times in the late 60s, you couldn't go to Boston. You couldn't go to New York City and obtain abortion. Or as Bill points out, you couldn't even get contraceptives unless you were a married person. So this is a stunning awakening for me. One of the things that disturbs me about the discussions that frequently are going on on CNN, for example, they have people who are 30 or 40 years old, men and women, and they're being asked to speculate, what would it be like if we lost Roe versus Wade? But there are people like Bill who know exactly what it was like and can talk about it with the passion that he's explained uh, this to you tonight. Well, I'm Bill, worried. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Barry. Go ahead. No, I mean, no, I just think uh, there'll be language. It's called dicta. It's not a holding of the case where they say, well, but this is only about abortion. That is not true. Why should we believe for one minute that four liars who are on the Supreme Court because they lied about this very issue? Boom. Why should we trust them when they say, don't worry, it's it's not going to cover anything else? The people forget Clarence Thomas when he was being nominated. He was asked about Roe versus Wade. And his answer was, you know, I can't remember ever talking about it. How can you not have talked about this seminal decision that people either loved or hated from the day it was decided? And then, of course, the three Trump people all managed to use wiggle words to avoid talking about what they would do if they had the option of overruling it. And the Democrats didn't do much of anything. They they didn't say, wait a minute, uh, stop there, Mr. Kavanaugh. D- do you mean that it's such settled law that you will not overrule it if have you have the opportunity? And of course, he would have said, because that's what they teach you to say if you're running for the Supreme Court. Uh, I, I can't possibly discuss that because it may come to the court. Exactly. Push on that. Amy Coney oh. Barrett signed a letter before a few years before she was nominated that called abortion barbaric barbaric do you need to know more about her and her position on this issue than knowing that she thinks that women's health exercised in this way is a form of barbarism exactly. i say you don't and well, also, you know, we know we can't believe anything they say. And for everyone who's been terrified about this Supreme Court next going after uh, uh, marriage equality for LGBT folks, well, uh, first, the last Republican 
platform for 2016 when they nominated Donald Trump, the last time they had a platform, they called for the overturning of Obergefell. And if you actually read Alito's opinions, he uses the same exact language in this draft opinion that he used in his dissent against gay marriage. I mean, the same exact language that he used when he dissented from letting gay people have the right to marry, not rooted in history. Precedent cannot survive these particular right-wing jurists. But Mr. Baird, I want to ask you about something else because I'm the child of an um, ex-Franciscan brother from Brooklyn and a former Catholic nun from the South who left and got married. And they were people who uh, weren't fans of abortion, would never call themselves pro-choice. But they remembered what it was like before Roe v. Wade, and they would never vote for a politician who wanted to criminalize abortion rights. And I think there's a lot of folks from several generations that feel that way. They, they don't feel comfortable saying that they, they, they're pro-choice, but they don't want it to be made illegal. I've always admired the way that you actually have taken on the Catholic Church, uh, not with any kind of hostility, but just with logic and morality. And, and you know, you... you have talked about how some of your patients, when you ran your free clinic, were nuns who had been impregnated by priests. Well, I, I had three three nuns that were impregnated, but the sad note is that we try to tell people, try not to judge other people's lives. I got enough trouble leading my life, and it's a pretty aggressive life that I've had, because when you decide that you're going to jeopardize your freedom, or perhaps your life, by going into prison, which is uh, hellhole of the prison I was in was set on fire by one of the inmates, and I had an excellent chance of being burned to death, uh, including the inmates who set the fire. Uh, so there's always a great risk factor, but I just want to remind the people that one of the things that kept me going all these years was the courage I learned from women, because women yes. would t- come to me, they would take a douching bag and fill it with Lysol or bleach oh. or turpentine, and often enough they would take soap suds and they didn't realize that soap has fat in it, and the body can absorb this fat in the soap, and they die of a fat animalism. Or oh. they would take a base that they use for turkeys, uh, for gravy, and if you put in salt water, a couple of tablespoons of salt and a pint of water, you take that and you force that in, not only into the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, if you force that in with one hard squeeze, you can force residual air, and you can die of an aerialism. That's, right. That's right. And there's so many ways that I would say to people, look, come to me. I said, I will help you to the best of my ability. If I get busted, we'll do the best that we can to see that no one is hurt by the police. But the sad note is my life has been as corny as it may sound. And why I love Barry so much is here's a guy who's getting out of the world, uh, treats him pretty well normally. But he risks his well-being by taking the courage and courageous way of living that he does. Yes, he does. And gets things done. And I admire that because not many people do that. When I do what I do, it costs me. Uh, one of the, I don't know if you remember this, Barry, in particular. One of the times I lost my first wife and four children, I gave a speech in Huntington, Long Island, which is mm-hmm. where I lived at that time. And uh, I heard a scream at the end of the lecture hall. And I saw this woman on the floor being handcuffed. And all of a sudden, I'm on the floor being handcuffed. And the police, in plain clothes, five of them, arrested both of us, saying she had brought her 14-month baby to the speech. And the baby was a minor, under 18. Under, and, 
and they said that if a baby saw a diaphragm or a pill or an IUD, it would get sexual ideas. As oh. nutty as that sounds, and we had up here before a judge, although we both were jailed overnight, we won the case, but after we won the case, my children got mail from all over the country telling me how they were going to be murdered uh, for their father yeah. being the evil man that I was. And I think Larry, uh, Barry had told me the other day that, uh, you know, somebody who for years thought that I was a horrible murdering man and changed her view throughout the years. Uh, but it's just sad, the hatred that religion teaches people. Uh, the Catholic Church held masses for my soul, that I am the devil. Yeah. Uh, in Marlboro, Massachusetts, they flew a black flag at half-mast with a huge sign. This flag flies in protest of Bill Baird, peddler right. of death. And they would not baptize a baby in the Catholic Church of this mother because she said, I admire Baird's courage. That's all. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm fond yeah. of pointing out how the Bible, and Barry and I talked about how the Bible's <laughs> not against abortion. Go ahead, Reverend. Yeah, I, I think it's very important that people understand that how crucial these elections are. Because again, if you listen to the conventional news, you're going to hear Mitch McConnell say, well, uh, of course, we're not going to change the rule against filibusters now. Uh, and we wouldn't do it if we had a majority of Republicans. I do not believe that for one nanosecond, yeah. not one nanosecond. And then what are they going to do? They're going to be able to pass a law, not that codifies Roe versus Wade, but that overturns it completely. And then where will people go to make their constitutional arguments? Because now with these five characters saying there is no right to privacy in the Constitution, at least not for abortion, why not go after contraceptives for unmarried people next? They're not going to want to talk about that in the elections. I know, John, you you are probably a little more optimistic than I am that there's going to be a kind of, of uh, pushback to this so that lots of more new people will come out and vote for Democrats. But they have to be Democrats who seriously and unequivocally take the rights of women to heart. Oh, absolutely. And, and I do think they may have gone. It. I think they may have gone too far, Reverend. And I do think that Alito may have gotten people enthused to vote in these midterms in a way Joe Biden couldn't dream of. At yep. the same time, I also fear uh, or I also think it's a very real possibility that um, the Supremes might realize they have awakened the sleeping giant and they will merely uh, keep Rose safe for the time being while uh, upholding the Mississippi law. But I, I, I want to go back to something Bill Baird said, because, sir, when you were discussing these horrible, destructive ways that women had injured themselves trying to terminate a pregnancy when they didn't have the information. And again, it's, it's always a punishment on poverty. Wealthy women will always be able to go see doctors. It will be poor people who suffer from here. But, you know, the, it made me realize and think about the fact that should they succeed in destroying abortion rights for women and criminalizing the procedure, as you well know, Mr. Barrett, it will not end abortion. It will only end the safe legal kind, and I, I think only, that... And not only one in there, but way beyond that, my case, Baird v. Eisenstadt, which legalized birth control for unmarried people, much to the shock of many people listening, because when you listen to some of my allies, they always talk about a Griswold versus Connecticut, and they yep. forget that if you read the case, it was for only married people. I thought that that's was right. very timid, and that's why I risked a 10-year jail term. I say, no. Somebody's got to fight for unmarried people. They're just as important as married people. And I did. 
And, of course, I had to go to jail for that. But eventually the Supreme Court did hear me on March 22nd, 1972, and that's how it did become legal. But if you remember, their belief system is a fertilized egg is a person from conception. That would outline IUDs, which medically are called an abortifacient, prevents the fertilized egg from attaching to the wall of the uterus. Certain birth control pills act as abortifacients as well. So there are many different ways uh, that birth control would be stopped, and I predict they will stop birth control if the abortion law is tampered with by this court. But the sad note is people don't think it's ever going to be them. If I could tell you how many times thousands of people from every state in this country came to me when it was illegal saying, I never thought I'd meet you in person. I saw you on television, but I, I opposed you even, but I need your help now. I always yeah, say, yes. Not me to judge you, just I'll help you. And we did. Yep. Yep, and that's what you do, and without judgment. And, and and Barry, let me bring it back to you, because you're the lawyer here. I mean, we were talking previously in the show about the Ninth Amendment, and it seems like the Supreme Court and maybe everybody else has forgotten about the Ninth Amendment. I mean, are we at a place now where we're forgetting that citizens are allowed privacy in their own personal medical decisions? Well, sadly, we are. And the Ninth Amendment, I've always been a fan of it, but um, it doesn't have much history. This is, of course, one that basically says, if we don't specify a right in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights, that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's left up to the states and the people and the people. It's a ringing endorsement of privacy. And it does, as Bill says, you've just been talking about this, it's not going to end abortion. It is going to end legal, safe abortions. I cannot tell you the number of doctors in practice now who were also in practice at the time that abortion was illegal who would literally tell me. Women came to me begging, begging me to help them. That's the world we're going to go back to. You don't have to look for at the, you know, the Handmaid's Tale on television. You just need to talk to some of the women who lived through well, this. Well, I had countless women who came to time. me and they started to take their clothes off. I said, what are you doing? Don't I have to have sex with you? Like, Ma'am, I said, what are you talking about? She says, well, I went to his motel room, and this guy had sex with me, and then he told me to get out. He didn't do the abortion. I said, that's the quack that are all, well, those are the things that encouraged me to fight as hard as I could, and I did. What I never anticipated, though, I got kicked in the head from now. Now told me to get out of their movement. Uh, Betty Fidan called me a CIA agent. Planned Parenthood put in writing that the time I was arrested in Boston, they said, nothing to be gained by the Baird case. He's an embarrassment to us. That's right. And that took away a lot of support. But here's the last point I want to make about that. When I was being arrested at the Boston University, I said to the students, I said, hey, you told me that the ACLU would be here to defend me, and are you here? And the ACLU did not stand up. I repeated it two more times. And then the third time, they said, Baird, we're here. We'll go into court with you, and we'll defend you. And what do you think happened? Three weeks later... The ACLU, which I served on the board of directors for several years, said, quote, Bill Baird, we talked this over with Planned Parenthood. We agree with them. Your case has no constitutional merit. You are now on your own. That's right. And this is after this is after Baird versus Eisenstadt before the Supreme Court. Yep. So 
I didn't know what in the world to do because I was panicked. I had four kids. Uh, how if I'm going to be tossed in jail for up to 10 years, what do I do? So a guy, a great guy who I lost as my friend, uh, Joe Bolero, devout Catholic, but he normally handled tough criminals like murderers and so forth. He says, uh, uh, I don't like liberals, but I like you because you got guts. He says, I'll represent you. And he took nice. me all the way up as I was headed to the Supreme Court. And guess what in the world happened? I had to fire him. And the reason I fired him, this is my friend, and it's cost me a friendship that I cry about inside still. Uh, what had happened was I got a call from U.S. Senator Joseph, uh, not Tidings, but uh, Ernest Greening from Alaska. He said, I want Joe Tidings to represent you from the U.S. Senate. He's a great guy. I said, why would I do that? I can't betray my friend. He said, no, no, no. He said, you're not betraying him. You're giving women a better chance because they right. go to lunch with the Supreme Court <laughs> and they play tennis with the court. And you have a better chance since they know him and they respect him. And so based on that logic, I had to let Joe go. And he sued me, by the way. He lost, wow. as I knew he would. Uh, but it cost me that friendship. And I agree because he's a great lawyer and a good friend. Uh but I just I had to make a decision. Do I fight for my friendship, which is what was important, but a greater value to can I save somebody else's life? And that's exactly. the choice I made. And that's that's why I, I find your work and your life's work, Mr. Baird, to be so inspirational because you're a guy who's had to move so many times. Your clinic was firebombed. You've been shot yeah. at in your home. You've been punched. You've been kicked. You've been spat on. You've gone to jail eight times. What advice, and let me ask this in closing because we got to hit a break. Let me ask both of you. What advice do you give to women and men who are terrified right now about what might happen and how can we fight conscientiously and effectively? Barry, you want to go? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you know men cause the problem of unwanted pregnancies. And Boom. men with... I mean, overwhelmingly are now talking, even some governors in southern states are talking about the very thing that we are uh, chatting about now, literally making it a criminal offense if you're not married to obtain contraceptives. And the courts kind of already floated that idea in that infamous Hobby Lobby case, because yep. part of the Hobby Lobby uh, company's argument was that the things that they didn't want to provide to their women employees included contraceptives which as bill pointed out many of them think without any scientific basis are in abortion inducing their abortifacients right. i think people have got to wake up and realize they can't depend on the existing number of pro-choice people in congress that we have to come out with the intensity that many of us did during the Trump election to say this is fundamentally something that will change, alter, destroy the very fabric of America. Women will become second class citizens and men ought to get out and do what they're supposed to do. When I yes. went uh, six months ago or so to a big women's march here in Washington, I don't think there was one man for every 20 marchers, one wow. man for every 20 marchers men well, that's what we have, have to, to do we have to involved. recognize first of all that this is a movement for people and i don't care if you're white black polka dot gay straight a male female we all should unite as one 
and realize that if we do that, we have far greater power. And I just would realize, I hope that realize that, that women have to accept men as allies and not call people like me who's had eight, uh, not eight, but uh, six Supreme Court cases, but three that bear my name, to have those cases heard and win, and then you kick them out and say, well, you really can't be trusted because you're a man. You know, right. I go to, the only one who goes to the Right to Life Convention, and I can document this easy enough, uh, I monitor what they do for years. Uh, there's about 2,000 and just me outside and my beloved wife, Joni, carrying an eight-foot wooden cross. This is free women from the cross of oppression, uh, keep abortion legal or make abortion legal. And we would pick it out there, but inside, most of the 2,000 people were women. All yeah. the leaders that I saw from each state were women fighting against women. So we have to realize it isn't men fighting only against women. It's a lot of women who fight, and we have to unite and say, hold it. We've got to unite as one and realize the only one who's the expert about that pregnancy is that woman, and Boom. she should be allowed to go to any medical care that she thinks she can get. We have to hit our break, but I thank you both so much. Mr. Baird, a longtime fan. It's really a pleasure to have you, and I hope you'll join us again. Reverend Barry, how do we follow you and keep up with you on socials? No, just go to barrywlin.com. That's my website. We're getting some new stuff up soon. So um, that's it. Gentlemen, thank you both for inspiring me tonight and for inspiring others. Hope to have you both back. We'll be right back with your calls. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the part where I start thanking you guys so much for your patience waiting on hold for so long. Catherine in Las Vegas. Hello. Hi, John. Hey, uh, by the way, to your point about inflation, uh, I believe the number that I heard was 70 percent of inflation is due to increased energy costs. So, I mean, get rid of that and you get rid of most of inflation. But again, Putin. So. Um, I mean, yeah, but but, it, but it's also greed. You know, I've talked about a, a million times. The guys who make Arizona iced tea have kept their iced tea at ninety nine cents a can, and I'm not a fan. I think it's all sugar, but they've kept it at ninety nine cents a can throughout the entire pandemic and all this inflation because they have said so many times that they don't care if they get a cut in their profits. They don't want to charge more, and they've that it's proof that you can do it. They're still rich. They still make a lot of money. They don't make as much money oh, yeah, as they could if they jack the price up but inflation is caused by greed 
and no yeah, party will call that out. The record profits are proof of that. The record yeah. profits right now are proof of that. But, yeah. uh, hey, no, the reason I called, though, is because, first of all, I wanted to say thank you for the discussion the last hour. I really appreciated that because, like you said, it's always asking 20- and 30-year-olds, oh, what do you think it'll be like, instead of asking the 60- and 70-year-olds, what was it like? He had a 90-year-old on the show. He was that, that man's turning 90 next month. Yeah, he really lived through uh, it. God bless him. Um, so I really appreciated that. But uh, to that end, I wanted to call and tell you a story about my grandmother. Please. Because, um, so we're talking back in the 1950s, uh, and she had already had two children, and she had already had one miscarriage. And she was pregnant again, and this time she was having a miscarriage, but she started hemorrhaging severely. Mm. So my grandfather rushed her to the hospital, but of course it was a Catholic hospital. And they, of course, did not believe in abortion, and abortion to, um, you know, these religious zealots is any artificial removal of the fetus, even if it's dead. You cannot remove it. So to this yeah. day, there are women who have, you know, masses inside them that are dead fetuses uh, that were not uh, removed. So uh, now my grandmother is a different story because what they did with her, instead of treating her like you would think that you would treat any human in crisis, they put her on a table with her feet elevated to keep her from passing out until the baby passed naturally. Now, that is what we are talking about when we are talking about removing protections for abortion. Past five weeks, past six weeks, past 12 weeks, past anything. It's not just women who are seeking abortion. It's women who need medical care. And to say that there is an exception for the life and the safety of the mother, well, who gets to decide whether or not my grandmother's life was in jeopardy at the time? Exactly. Men so who don't believe what, it's healthcare. These are the stories we need to tell. This is this is this is how women were treated back in the 1950s. And you know, um, I hope, gosh, I hope my family doesn't get mad at me saying this, but after that point, my grandparents defied the Catholic Church. They were good Catholics and started using birth control because my grandmother's That's life right. was not worth it. Like the majority and of American Catholics do. Right, and my grandfather. God bless him, went to confession every single week. I remember as a kid, my mom sometimes having to drive, drive my grandfather to confession. But, you know, it's one of those things where, where we, have to, we, we have to just stop talking about this in the ways that the Republican Party frames it and start talking about this as basic human rights, because that's I agree. what it is. I agree, and by the way, the Bible is no more against birth control than it is against abortion. And um, your family doesn't get to complain about you telling this story because you told the story out of love for your family. And that's what it's all about. I thank you so much for the call, Catherine. Please call in more often. That was very moving.